Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid, such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi everybody and welcome home. For the past few years, we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home a place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility, and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Qur'an, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha fissama' That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the Hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus Salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas, that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots community space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. So we uh, started this Surah last week, we began the discussion of Surah Kahf last week, and uh, in that discussion we talked a little bit about this topic or the science of Asbab al-Nuzul. Asbab al-Nuzul can be translated as the reasons for revelation. What were the causes that something was revealed? And we learned 
that in the Quran, there are generally, you will find context, historical context for the revelation of the Quran, uh, to be able to know historically, like when it occurred, and also what caused it to occur, if anything was a catalyst for that. So you have certain moments, certain times, we talked about the example, what was the example went over? With Surah, about the, the man who was blind. Surah Abasa, very good. Surah Abasa, Abasa wa Tawalla. You may, have, you may have memorized it, you may have heard it, Abasa wa Tawalla. That entire, uh, the, 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 the advent of that passage, Revelation, was a story in the life of the Prophet So we then transitioned and said, okay, well, what's the advent or the, what's the catalyst of uh, Surah Al-Kahf? Why was this revealed? There is a reason why, and there was a specific reason, because this Surah has a lot of virtue behind it, so there has to be something unique about it. And one of the things that was unique that we learned was that this was a surah that was a response or sent down as a response, as a lesson for the Quraysh and also to teach the Prophet Muhammad and to guide him in his job as a messenger about a specific moment in which he was being questioned. And when he was being questioned, he promised or he said to those who were questioning him that I'll have a response for you tomorrow. I'll have an answer tomorrow. And in that moment, he did not say, he neglected at that moment to say, inshallah. And so what happens is, instead of having a response the next day, he waits patiently, waits patiently, and is mocked, made fun of, etc., and is wondering right, when this answer is going to come from Allah. And eventually, over two weeks later, 15 days, this, this surah is revealed. Uh, now, one of the cool things about that moment, and this is, this is something that I, I wanted to go over last time, but we kind of ran out of time, was that this moment, subhanAllah, what was the, what was the purpose, or what was the intention of the Qurayshi people questioning the Prophet What were they getting at? What were they trying to do? Those guys who went and they took those questions from the, the, the rabbis in Medina, and they asked them, okay, what's the, you know, what can we, what can we bring to disprove the messengership of this man, Muhammad وسلم, and then they show up with these questions, right? The three questions. What, was, what were they trying to do? What was their goal? Yeah, they were trying to discredit the Prophet Specifically discredit what? His claim that he was who? A messenger of God. So their goal is to walk in there and claim to, or to try to prove, disprove that he, his claim that he's a messenger of Allah. And so what happens is, his response is to try to prove or substantiate that he is what? Messenger of God. Not your question. Okay, good. So one group comes in saying, you're not. He's saying, yes, I am. And he's saying, as proof that I am, I will do what? I'll give you the answer. When? Tomorrow. Okay? You don't think I'm a messenger of Allah? I am. Okay, and to prove it, I'm going to answer these questions that you've given me that nobody knows. What happens when the Prophet in that moment does not say, inshallah? What happens? There is a what? Delay. A delay, good. A major delay, 15 days. Does this help or hurt the argument of the Prophet? Everyone said, let the record show, 728. All right, okay? Everyone said, hurt. Okay? You're thinking with your. You're thinking too quickly, okay? Think about this. What, if the Prophet is not a messenger of God, who's in control of this information? Him, good. 
if the Prophet is not a messenger of God, who's in control of this stuff? Him, himself, okay? So, if he says, I'm going to have an answer for you tomorrow, and then shows up the next day and says, I don't have an answer, and then for 14 more days has to go, and again, we might interpret this as being a little bit embarrassing, causing some anxiety, making, some, making it difficult. And every day he shows up and he says, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. And then finally, on the 15th day, Allah sends down this surah giving all the answers that they were asking about. This is the one the next day. But the one who sends down this revelation said, no, not tomorrow, not the day after. Frustrated when a person is calling upon Allah, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and those du'as are not coming. They're not happening right away, right? It's not happening on your timeline. The reason why those things are not happening on your timeline is because there is some wisdom that is unknown to you. is waiting for you and that in that wisdom it is ultimately better for you the prophet sallallahu had he had that answer the next day to those questions it would have solved that problem immediately but it would not have illustrated with such power and such you know it, i mean it's indisputable that he is not the one coming up with this on his own and that's ultimately what his job was to say that i'm not coming up with this i'm not a poet i'm not a good speaker i'm not this 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 I'm just receiving revelation from God and I'm delivering that message to you. And part of that job is that the revelation shows up when Allah wants it to, not when I want it to. That's part of that job. And so in this delay that caused the Prophet a lot of difficulty internally, it was what? It was an evidence in and of itself. So understand that. Understand that when a person is being delayed, something that they want, there is ultimately good in it. And it doesn't mean that just because that delay is there, that you're not going to get what you want, right? In fact, you may be getting something that you need and not what you want, but actually at a higher level of what you need. So the surah is then given. Now, we talked about how the surah has four themes. And before the four themes are introduced, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually gives a very powerful introduction. Amazing stuff. The introduction begins, so the surah begins, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. All praise is due to Allah, alhamdulillah. We say this phrase when? Just like we said, we say inshallah when? When we don't want to do something, very good, okay? When do we say the phrase inshallah? When we, intend, when we think about doing anything in the future, and whether or not that thing is going to happen or not, we say inshallah, meaning what? That this is what Allah wills, okay? And that is a reminder to us and everybody else that it's not me who controls this. Okay, so, hey, are you going to be able to join us? Inshallah. That's, that should not be a Muslim way of saying no. That should be a Muslim way of reminding everybody that I want to, I hope to, but ultimately, like, if I get sick or if something happens or whatever, I, I can't make it. It's an evidence that I'm not in control. Even though I have a car, I have money, I have this, I have that, but Allah Ta'ala is the one who's in control. So, inshallah. Now, Alhamdulillah also has meanings. 
And we talked about this with Surah Al-Fatiha. Hamd is the combination of thanks and praise. You say Alhamdulillah when you are recognizing the generosity, the compassion, the mercy, and the status of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why when you wake up in the morning, you say what? Alhamdulillah. The dua of the morning is amazing. Alhamdulillah. That all praise and thanks be to the one who gave us life after he caused us to die. Because sleep is the cousin of death, as they say. It's just a temporary death. It's even referred to in the Islamic texts as the small death. Because you have every night a dress rehearsal for your death. In that you fall asleep and you don't have consciousness in the way that you're used to. But you're still existing in another life. Right? You have dreams at night. Anyone here have a lot of dreams? It's interesting. Right? I wonder, subhanAllah, if we do and we just kind of block them up. Musa has a ton of dreams. Right? He has a, a bunch, a bunch of dreams. Having a dream is just a, a, another version of what perhaps is an evidence that yes, you can have a consciousness of sorts even when your body is not up and moving in the dunya. Right? So when we wake up, we say Alhamdulillah. Why? Because it's not a guarantee that you're going to wake up. It really isn't. Right? Even internally, if all your organs are fine and everything's there, something tragic in the house could happen that could cause you to lose your life. That's a reality as well. Okay, that's why we have smoke detectors, carbon dioxide, etc. Because we want to make sure that nothing takes our life, whether it's internal or extra, protect ourselves. So we say Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah, the one who gave us life. Okay, what else? We say Alhamdulillah after we do what? When else? When do we say Alhamdulillah? After you sneeze. Interesting. Yes, we do. Why do we say Alhamdulillah after we sneeze? Because the Prophet told us to. Very good. There's actually a funny story about that, by the way. So... When a man, again, subhanAllah. <laughs> wow, okay, so I guess every week just start by changing the batteries. accepted Islam and the first thing that he was taught by the Prophet وسلم, he, like he, he took shahada and then the first dars that he attended basically in the masjid of the Prophet وسلم, he learned that when you sneeze you should say alhamdulillah or the person should say alhamdulillah right the ones who have been around that person should say alhamdulillah and then you know the, the one who then sneezed the sneezer can, can respond uh, by making further draw for that person, right? Et etc., etc. So the, 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 this individual accepts Islam brand new and learns that when somebody sneezes, you say Alhamdulillah after they say Alhamdulillah, okay? So during Salah, somebody sneezes and he says Alhamdulillah, and this guy says Alhamdulillah out loud. And then he's waiting for that dua return. So he looks at the guy, he's like Alhamdulillah. In Salah, he's looking at him, and everyone's just kind of standing like this, and they don't know what to do. And so, when there's like a when you when you have to draw attention in Salah, you don't talk. You can lightly tap your hand, right, or somebody can say Subhanallah out loud just to draw attention to something. 
You know, if it's not urgent, not critical, not life or death, you can't break your prayer casually. But if, you know, there's something happening, you need to, I don't know, there's a kid with a marker or something that's going to take it, you can say something. Um, so everyone starts slapping their hands. And they're looking at the guy and they're like, right? And then he says, like, basically the equivalent of Arabic of forget you guys. <laughs> and then they finish prayer. And uh, he just probably is sitting there confused, like, did I do something wrong? And the Prophet Sallallahu he turns and he says, uh, which one of you was saying it Uncle Allah over and over again? <laughs> Even though it was probably obvious. And the guy was like, it was me. And he said, uh, you know, may Allah, you know, he said, Jazakallah khaira. May Allah, basically, may Allah reward you for your enthusiasm. But then he told him, in Salah, we are quiet. Right, in Salah, we remain silent. So these are certain moments in which we engage in saying Alhamdulillah after we sneeze. Right after you eat, say alhamdulillah. Uh, even after anything, after you drink, say alhamdulillah. After, it's, we're taught say alhamdulillah constantly. It's a recognition of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So Allah begins the surah by saying alhamdulillah, which means what? That he's recognizing or he's telling us, teaching us, guiding us, that this is a moment of recognition of one of the blessings or multiple blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Whatever pops up next, this is how you read the Quran, right? It's engaging. So you read it. The surah starts, Alhamdulillah, Alladhi. All praise and thanks are to the one. The one who? And then you're like, oh, okay, interesting. The one who did what? Because whatever Allah talks about now is going to teach us a lot about our relationship with Him. Right? Just like when we wake up, Alhamdulillah, Alladhi. That we make, we say Alhamdulillah for the one who gave us life after he caused us to experience death. It's like a deep rattling of the soul when you talk about that stuff. So now we learn that who is the one that we're praising here and for what reason? That the one who anzala, nazala in Arabic means to send down, that something was revealed. So here it says who has revealed. But the meaning in Arabic that's not being communicated here, and I'm, this isn't an Arabic class, but I'm just kind of sneaking in this little bit just because we have to understand. The, the, the meaning here that is, that is not being told in the translation is that revelation is when something is hidden and then becomes manifest or apparent. But the verb that Allah uses is talking about the transition of something from high to low, something from up to down. So something that was sent down, either in status or even in physicality. Okay, now in the Quran, the Quran is also referred to as a tanzil, the thing that was sent down. What does the Quran being sent down have to do with us being grateful for it? What specific characteristic do we think about when we think of something being sent down? What does that even mean? You tell me. What does it mean when something's sent down? You can come across, guys. You can come across. What does it mean when something's sent down, y'all? Send down from what? From where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't really go up and get it, so it's like you've been given. Oh, wow, mashallah, that's amazing. I didn't even think of that one. You can't go up and get it, so when something is sent down, there's like an element of it being a gift, right? The Prophet said, the upper hand, the one that gives is better than the one that uh, is receiving, is asking. Meaning what? Like, there's an element to this. Beautiful. So the Qur'an is a gift. It's not like you climbed up there and got it. It was sent down. From where, though? From where? From generally where? From above. From above. Okay, less generally. 
a little less general, not too specific, but not too general. Like the divine, the, I know everyone's a little bit nervous, but don't be nervous to engage with the Quran. The heavens, right? The divine realm, whatever that may be. I'm not asking you for a street address. I'm just asking you to give me a general environment, right? The divine realm, the heavens. So this book was sent from the divine realm. Now the divine realm, okay, let's talk about it a little bit. Is there any flaw in the heavens? Is there any flaw in paradise in Jannah? No, it's a place of perfection. It's a place of perfectness. The Quran is the speech of Allah. It is a perfect book. Allah is perfect. These are all a trend, okay? That we have received a perfect book that came from the perfect place that is the speech of the one who is perfect. All right? Now, contrasting to that, the dunya is what? This land that we live in, this material world is what? Imperfect. imperfect. Good job, okay? How is it imperfect? You tell me. Okay, there's sin, that's one, that there's mistakes that are made. In Jannah, there are no sins. We have shaitan. We have shaitan, okay. Right? The shaitan is, is a present being here, not present in Jannah. Very good. All right, what else? Finite. Finite, it's limited, right? So we all live our life, and probably the greatest motivator in everyone's life is their death. Right? Like you want to accomplish certain things before. We don't say it this way, but generally it's like, I got to do this and this and this and this. Why? Because I want to have this and this and this. Why? Because I want to enjoy this before I die. Right? Like last night, like all these Mavs fans are like, thank God I can die now. You know, like, <laughs> that's, you know, Western Conference Finals, right? They're like, I can die a peaceful person, you know? So it's all about the motivation for why we do what we do is ultimately our death. Okay? Like people want to engage at certain things at certain timelines. I want to travel the world, right? If I said, okay, you want to travel? How about when you're 74? You're like, uh, not quite, right? You're like, why? Why 24, not 74? Well, I want to be able to enjoy this before my life passes, before I have to pass away, okay? So that's another thing. It's finite. What else? Anyone else? It's flawed. It's flawed. Who said that? Good. It's flawed. Even the nicest things, even the best things on this earth are flawed. Like, of course, we know that the, the, the flawed things are flawed. But the best that human beings can come up with, still flawed. Right? The highest amount still has limitation. It has weakness. It has some sort of flaw that we have to sort of like consciously or subconsciously forget. Okay? Even if a person went on like a really nice vacation to like a beautiful resort, all expenses paid, whatever, like everything's taken care of, the elevator still take too long. Right? The flight still had turbulence. I still, you know, my seat didn't recline. Or the person seat in front of me would not not recline. Right? <laughs> like there's always something. That you, it's part of Allah Ta'ala's fadl that we can push those things out of our memory. Right? And we can appreciate and enjoy the experiences that we have. But... Every single thing in the dunya is, at some point or another, imperfect. It's not, we're not knocking on it. Or I'm not calling you anything bad. It just is the way that the dunya is. Even in the word dunya, it has two meanings. It usually means, or it comes to mean the, the, the material world, but it means that which is closer, but it also means that which is lower. Lower geographically, but also lower in status. Meaning what? The dunya is not as good as the akhirah. The Akhirah, as Allah Ta'ala says, 
you know, بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا He says, you prefer this life. وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبَقَى And the afterlife is two things. It's infinitely better, and it's an infinite place. It's everlasting. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah by telling us to say Alhamdulillah. Everyone say Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. For what? الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ الْكِتَابَ And then I'll talk about the other part. So the first, this divine revelation, this Qur'an, is something that was sent down as a taste of perfection to an imperfect place. It's a taste of perfection to a place that is filled with imperfections. Okay? Meaning what? Meaning, people who live on this earth long enough and experience things long enough, they understand by definition that you will be disappointed. That you will have moments where you are less than impressed. Okay? There are moments that hurt you, moments that don't really matter, and then moments that impress you. Even those moments that impress you, we talked about, there's still going to be those moments that you have to consciously push out of, your, out of your mind. Because again, why? There were problems there. It's the nature of this place. Right? Now, we understand that because this dunya is imperfect, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down this Qur'an, it forces us to recognize that the Qur'anic experience is perfect. Because it's coming from a different place. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, for example, Alhamdulillah all praise be to the one who allowed you to find the Qur'an in the dirt on this earth. Like it was something from here. Then there would be some issues. Or if it was about guidance being found on the tongues of other human beings. Like you and I could come up with the Qur'an. We could just spit bars and you're like, that sounds good, let's write it, you know? Then there'd be problems, right? But the Qur'an being a book that has no human author, that has no human interjection, that letter for letter, sound for sound, preserved as the message, the speech of Allah, it reaffirms and it gives us confidence that whenever you engage with this text, with this book, you know that you're not going to be disappointed, that it's not going to have flaws, you're not going to have to force yourself to ignore parts of it because it doesn't apply anymore, or it doesn't make sense, or isn't good. The Qur'an is a book that constantly gives you a taste of what that perfect place is like. This is what this book is. Also, another thing that's beautiful here is that the Qur'an is a nourishment for a part of you that also is not from this earth. Imam Ghazali said very beautifully that your body, your, your, your creation, is made from what? What did Allah Ta'ala create us from, guys? Clay, right? Like Thompson. No. Okay. Clay. Allah Ta'ala made us from dirt, from clay. Where do the things that we need for our bodies to keep going, where do they generally come from? They come from the earth at some point or another, right? I'm not talking about like legit stuff. I'm not talking about let's go outside and eat the leaves. What I'm saying is, generally speaking, the place in which we were made from also is the place of production for the things that we need to keep living, right? Where was the soul made? Or what was the soul made from? It's a substance that was initiated by Allah. Okay, is the soul from this earth? It's not. The body's from this earth, the soul is not from this earth. So can you feed the soul something from this earth? It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't work. 
Because the body needs things from this earth in order to keep going, right? The soul also needs things, nourishment, from its environment in order for it to keep going. That's why when you get something new, what happens? You buy something from the mall or you get something in the mail and you're so excited you get it brand new. After three weeks, what happens? Be honest. You're like, whatever, right? It's cool. I'll never forget. As big as it can be. If you bought a car or a house, I'm not going to I'm not going to use the the uncle joke, right? Even marriage? No, I'm not going to do that one, right? <laughs> I actually don't I don't believe that one because marriage is from it's a gift from Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, uh, but you get a you get a, a car or a house, you know, you even I mean subhanAllah, anything that you get, you're like in a honeymoon stage for the first like, you know, week or two. And then you start to like notice like things that you don't like about it, right? And then you have those friends that are kind of socially awkward that tell you things that you shouldn't like about it. You're like, it's not your job, it's my job to notice those things, okay, right? So you bought this new TV, you're like, it's this big, it's awesome, right? But it's kind of slow, or it turns off randomly, or the color doesn't match, or the sound isn't good, whatever, right? You're like, man, I loved this thing when I saw it at Costco. When I was there, I was standing there for 30 minutes, just staring, picturing it in my house. How amazing is this TV gonna be? watch the playoffs on this, it's gonna be incredible. And then I get in my house, and it's just not working as beautifully as I thought it did, okay? Or you buy a house, you're like, this is great, we finally have a place to live, this and that. You start noticing things, you're like, oh, this is kind of annoying, the water heater, test from Allah, all right? It's like randomly, you're going for the deen and you get, you get bombarded by the dunya, okay? There's always gonna be something, and Allah addresses this later, just a couple verses later, right? So, or even maybe the next verse, I don't know, I forget. No, a couple of verses later, okay? So the Qur'an reminds you that in this dunya, you are going to be disappointed. Everyone say that. I'm going to be disappointed. You are. And it's not about like living your life in a negative state where you're like, you know, you meet someone for the first time, you're like, you're going to disappoint me. <laughs> it's not about preemptively trying to get in front of the disappointment. Right? It's not about pointing it out because these are all bad traits, bad characteristics. The Prophet ﷺ was very patient. Right? The definition of patience, of beautiful patience at least, is to endure the disappointing moments as if they're not disappointing. Okay? So the believer on the outside goes through disappointing moments as if it doesn't bother them. But on the inside, we know that some things bother us more than others. But Allah is telling us by the nature of this, this relationship between the heavens and the earth that you should not be surprised when those moments happen. You should not be so rattled and so overwhelmed that you lose spiritual functionality when those moments happen. And by the way, we use lighthearted examples because it, it's a class, but some of these things are pretty serious. Some of these disappointments can be loss of life, loss of family, Loss of wealth. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, we will test you with things of loss of life, loss of wealth and hunger. Allah Ta'ala says that. These are moments that people go through, but everything compared to infinity is zero. And that's what we have to walk away with. The, 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 the perspective of the believer is a constant trust in optimism. That we know that whatever I'm going through here, it's not permanent, it's not the end, and it's not my reality. This is a flawed place for flawed people who have to experience flawed things. And my journey to the perfect realm is a journey in which I'm gonna to have to deal patiently with these flawed moments 
so that I can enjoy perfection. If this dunya was perfect, how special would Jannah really be? Right? How incredible would it really be? It wouldn't have much. Right? So this design is strategic, and the Qur'an reminds us of that. So Allah gives us the Qur'an, because the Qur'an gives us that therapy in those moments that we need. The second thing is that Allah Ta'ala here mentions, ala abdihi, upon his servant. Here, who is he talking about? The Prophet Muhammad Why? Because the Qur'an, how many of you guys, when you buy something new, and there are instructions, or there's like a way to learn about it, you don't look at the manual, you go to YouTube. Anybody? Anyone here watch YouTube videos? At all, to build something? Okay. Nobody? Okay. So, anyways, when you, no one here builds furniture apparently. Okay, so, when you have to do anything, right, in life that requires expertise, or maybe you guys just hire people. So, when you have to do anything on your own, right, let's just say you bought a bidet for your house, okay, big investment, mashallah, major investment is a bidet, right, and you got to figure out how to do this. You can go to YouTube. Many people just skip the manual and go, or they'll call somebody they know, if they know a handyman or a handy, or someone, you know, like, hey, do you know how to do this? Have you done this before? Why? Because instruction and modeling, being taught, is a higher form of education, oftentimes, than just simply reading on your own, right? Being, when it comes to college, when it comes to training, when it comes to professional development, why is it so important to be trained at like really reputable institutions by really reputable people? You know, if you, go to, if you want to become a surgeon and you're like, I was trained by this surgeon, they invented this procedure, right? That would give a person a lot more clout and a lot more merit than somebody who said, yeah, I'm a surgeon. Oh, where'd you go to medical school? I, I read the books. <laughs> oh, okay. Have you ever done this procedure before? No, but I've read all about it, right? <laughs> I read every book on it. I know exactly how to do it, hypothetically. Okay, right? You guys would jump off that operating table in a second. Even if you had a whatever, like a leg issue, you'd jump out, because why? Because we understand that learning in context is much stronger than learning in theory. We understand that. So Allah knows that about us too. He knows that human beings need to see examples. We need to see stories. We need to hear about moments in which the things that are being expected of us were lived, right? So Allah can tell us to be patient, but if we don't have any stories of the Prophet's patience, how are we inspired? How are we motivated? Allah Ta'ala can tell us to be grateful, but if we don't learn about the gratitude of the Prophet, how, how do we remember these moments, right? So the Prophet, the existence of the Messenger of Allah, is a gift, absolutely without a doubt. Because if Allah just sends this book down, and you have to somehow go and parse through it yourself, imagine, imagine how difficult that would be. Imagine, without the Prophet without him teaching. And then on top of that, not only is he living this book, but he's also engaging in it in a way, engaging with the book in a way that is so merciful to those people that are following it, right? That he's showing us that there is gradualism. He's showing us that Allah is merciful. He's demonstrating to us these moments, these stories, where we understand that this book is the scripture, but the lived scripture feels full of grace and mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala begins the surah by teaching us this lesson. Number one, be grateful for the Quran. Be grateful for this message. Number two, be grateful for the one that we sent this message to. This is a really amazing thing. The surah begins what? Ar-Rahman. Oh, interesting. 
the sequence is a little bit, it's interesting and sad. The one who created human beings. Wait a minute. When we're talking about the great accomplishments and the phenomenal feats of Allah, and we're talking about human beings being created, right? Some of us could argue, well, if the human being wasn't created, then who would the Qur'an have been sent to? So we're thinking, chronologically, maybe even insan that Allah Ta'ala taught them the Qur'an. Wouldn't that have made sense? The scholars of Tafsir, they say no. Qur'an is because without acknowledging the divineness of the Qur'an, what even purpose is there being created? They say like, if you don't have this book, if you don't have guidance, what's the purpose of it? What is the function of your life as a person if you don't know your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So the most important critical moment in the history of humankind is not our creation. It's not the creation of Adam. It is the revelation of the Qur'an. Because by everything else, any revelation that Allah Ta'ala has sent is what enables human beings to live their life fully, to actually live their life. If we don't have the Qur'an, we're wandering around, not having any clue what to do, what's right or wrong. We treat each other based on how we feel, what the trends are telling us, what sounds good, what feels good. There's no discipline, there's no moral virtue. All those things are being figured out on our own, okay? Then he says, There is no diversion. This is a reaffirmation for the person reading it. Because again, in every single experience in life, doubt the truth of something. Someone's telling you a story. And then you text later, this is definitely not real, right? Every, every single experience we have, in order for us to take it and to believe it and to act on it or to hold it near and dear to us, we first do an accuracy check. Do we believe it? We'd all have to give him a few seconds. He would change it another few seconds and then eventually be what it was. Right? On the way here, I saw six Ferraris. We're like, really? He's like, okay, three. Really? He's like, they were cameras. <laughs> like, we have to, you know, like, we don't just call him a liar, but we kind of give him a chance, you know? Oh, I think it was a sport version of the camera, right? That's what I thought of the Ferrari. So, you know, when, and when you're engaging in that dialogue, that conversation, again, right, let's say you're going somewhere and, and, and uh, you're buying something and the price is just way too low compared to what you've been seeing. What are you, what are you talking about inside? What's the catch, right? Very good, right? If you're Maimon, you're like, I'll give me 10, right? I'll keep one and sell the other nine. But everybody else is like, this deal is too good to be true. It's too good to be true, which is another phrase about this dunya. It's too good to be true, right? What's the catch? There's, it's, it doesn't, there's something's not adding up. This is the internal mechanism that Allah has created within every one of us. Some stronger than others. Some people are so skeptical that they don't believe what's blatantly true. Some people are unfortunately not skeptical enough and they'll believe everything that comes their way. Allah has given us all skeptic meters inside of us. And so when Allah Ta'ala tells us about the Quran, He reaffirms and He reassures us that this book, right, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ 
That is the book. There is no doubt in it. Reaffirming why? Because it's part of human nature. It's good. You should not accept everything that you hear. That's part of what it means to be human. You got to make sure. You got to do some, some due diligence. Allah Ta'ala is telling us what? That, right? Al Kitaba. And he did not allow any crookedness to be into it. Now continuing, the next verse goes right to What is the purpose of this book? Now this is one of those moments in the Quran. We talked about this before. Whenever Allah Ta'ala talks about reward and punishment, which one usually shows up first? Usually you'll see reward, sometimes you'll see punishment. This is one of those moments where punishment shows up first. It's very stern. One of the reasons why the Quran was revealed, why? To give us straight understanding of our job, to make us perfectly upright. That to give a severe, to give a warning of a severe torment that Allah Ta'ala has, meaning that there's a punishment that's waiting with Him. Why do you think the punishment shows up first here. Why do you think Allah is bringing up the severe punishment? Again, this is not a topic that's very fun to talk about. Like, no one's like, hey, let's get together and talk about today's halakha. What is it? Severe punishments from Allah. It, 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 it can work, but it's not something that you see the Qur'an is talking about over and over and over again. It's spread out evenly throughout. Why? Why do you think Allah Ta'ala is bringing it up here? This is a little bit of the historical context. Think about who's... Who is this surah coming down as a response to? The Quraysh, very good, right? And what are the Quraysh doing in this very moment? Huh? They're doing what? Yeah, they're giving the Prophet Sallallahu a hard time. Not only, I mean, that's a very nice way of putting it. They're basically being a bunch of jerks, right? So they're, they're researching how they can stump the Prophet Sallallahu And then after that, they're trying to make his life difficult. They are purposely trying to mock him. They're purposely trying to punish him. They're trying to harass him. They're killing people who believe in him. Right? So this surah is an answer to those types of people. So again, understanding history is important. Because otherwise you're reading this, you're like, why is God the most merciful, the most kind, bringing up punishment so quickly? Why didn't God say that you know, it's to bring up uh, reward and then punishment to follow? Well, because... Those individuals, those people that are, are the cause of this revelation are hearing this first and foremost. So Allah Ta'ala says, so that they know about a severe punishment that is with Allah. And it also, he tags on, That there is a good news, there is a reward that is being promised to the believers. And then Allah Ta'ala defines the believers as who? Those who do good. Those people who try their best to do good, that they will have a fine reward. That they will be there forever. Again, this is a reminder that no matter what difficulty, because the Meccan Muslims are going through what? They're going through bad times. I mean, they're going through very difficult times. And in the moment, the Prophet can't even help them. In that moment, he is, he is not militarily strong. He's not financially strong. There is very little that can be done to help those people that are being tortured. I mean, the first martyrs of Islam are who? Anyone know their names? Yeah. Sumaya and yeah. Yasser, her husband. The first martyrs of Islam. You know the Prophet ﷺ used to have to walk by them every day as they were being tortured. 
And he, and, and he would cry. He would weep as he was walking by them. But he couldn't do anything. He couldn't because if he would engage, then all of a sudden they would turn on him and kill him. So there was this bullying, this harassment happening, and people were being, they were witnessing it, and they couldn't do anything. How, how, how painful must that have been? And so the prophet, in one narration particularly, the prophet was walking by them, and all he can say with tears in his eyes is sabran alayasir. All he can say to them is, have sabr. Why? فَإِنَّ الْمَوْعِدُكُمُ الْجَنَّةِ He says, your home is not here, your home is in Jannah. Just wait. I promise you, you'll be there soon. That's all he can do. And so he's telling them that no matter what difficulty, I mean, I mean this is torture. I, I can't even describe. Some of the narrations are so grotesque and graphic about what they did to Sumayya. I want you to imagine worst case scenarios. Worst case scenarios of torture. And the Prophet him, all he can do is remind them of their akhirah. Now, if, if, if any of us were told by somebody when we were in a difficult time that, you know what, this dunya is a test and Jannah is waiting for those who are patient, the response is oftentimes very flippant, full of resentment, very angry. Don't tell me that. And this is part, of, again, of, of human nature, is that we don't want to be consoled all the time. Right? We don't want to be, sometimes we want to also have our anger justified. But when your anger is against Allah, it's not, it's not to be justified. Right? The Prophet here is, is teaching and telling us, and in this moment, what? Any difficulty you go through, you can have anger at oppressors and tyrants and people who do wrong. That's normal, that's natural. But your anger should never be with Allah. Why? Because Allah is actually giving you a reward as a result of this difficulty. The people punishing you, the people hurting you, they're not going to reward you, right? We just hope they stop. But Allah is saying, even though he's not the one that necessarily did this evil thing, it was evil done by other people's hands, Allah is saying, your reward is waiting for you. And Allah Ta'ala also sent this Quran as a warning to say that God has children. You guys uh, uh, ever growing up had trouble reconciling the fact that Allah did not have a son while going to school during Christmas parties? Everyone's like, God sent his only son. You're like, nope. <laughs> not true, right? You're just like, I don't believe that, okay? It's really, really, it's really interesting, subhanAllah, this experience, man. The Quran, is, is, it highlights sometimes very interesting differences. You know, my son Musa, uh, um, we're teaching him about pepperoni um, as just like an archetype for everything in life. Uh, halal pepperoni is basically anything Muslims can do, and pork pepperoni is anything Muslims can't do. So, because he loves pepperoni pizza. So, I try to explain to him, you know, pepperoni, you know, this, that. If we go to, uh, you know, a, a, a mainstream pizza shop like Costco, say, I want pepperoni pizza, I gotta be like, no, you can't have that. And then he goes, who can have that? Because he's a stem brain, okay? <laughs> who can? Right, they're, they're making it for somebody. Clearly it's marketable, right? Let me see their P&L statements. Like, clearly it works. So he's like, if, if, who's buying this, this, this horrid, rancid meat? Like, who's buying it? Can I tell him, like, it's bad for you? It's, it's yucky. He's like, well, clearly not, Baba. You know, like. So I'm trying to explain to him the differences, right? Sometimes it can backfire because he shouts it in public places. So, you know, he'd be like, uh, I said, well, well, Muslims eat uh, halal uh, pepperoni, Musa. And he goes, so who eats pork? Christians? <laughs> I'm like, 
Yes, they, yeah, they, they do sometimes. And he goes, can they? Should they? I said, well, no one should, uh, but Muslims, these are the rules that we follow. And it's, it's getting really interesting. So, so yesterday, um, yesterday, he was eating a popsicle with his right hand, mashallah, and then he had, uh, he, he, he had a toy in his left hand. He wanted to pick up another toy, so I said, look, Musa, put the toy down, take your popsicle in your left hand, and pick up, it was a ball, and he's right-handed, so he wanted to throw it. So I said, just pick up the ball with your right hand, put the popsicle in your left hand. He goes, no, Baba, Muslims eat with their right hand. You told me that. And I go, you're right. And he goes, who eats with their left hand? I was like, God. <laughs> Christians, right? Okay. So all of these sort of like distinctions, again, there are distinctions because the, the, the community of the Prophet was pluralist. There were different types of people there. Okay, now in Mecca, there were no people of the book. There were no people of the book. So it's not only the Christian community that believes that God has a son. It's not only them. There are other uh, you know, religious traditions, ancient traditions, that believe that God had children. So the pagan Arabs believed that the gods that they worshipped were the daughters of God. They believed that they had da- God had daughters. Okay? So what is, what is such a, it's so interesting, subhanAllah, what is such a profound falsehood about the fact that God can have children or does have children? Right? The, the, the conclusion of the surah is Allah highlighting that Allah was not born, nor does he have children. It's like a point that is made a lot of times in the Quran. Why is it so important for Muslims to understand this or for humanity to understand this, that God does not procreate? I mean, in, in the list of all the things we want to know about the divine, that one kind of sounds like a little bit like left field. Like, okay, I understand, I accept it, but like, what's the, what's the critical error here? Like, what's the serious problem? You tell me. If God has children, what's the issue? Yeah. He doesn't have a need for it. Okay, number one is that God doesn't have need. God and need, there is no mixing of those terms. Allah is free of need. Children are procreated, right? Procreation occurs, children happen as a result of a need. A biological need, okay? Very good. What else? To show that there's a succession. To show, okay, that there's some sort of succession, that when someone has a child, that's going to be the one who carries on the baton of the family, right? There is no legacy with Allah because Allah ta- there is no after Allah is gone. Allah is there, constant. Very good. Yeah, really. And then when humans, if you give God a, I guess, human or characteristic with that nature, is how divine is it at that point? Very good. Yes. If Allah Ta'ala has children, right, which he is far and beyond from having, but if Allah has children, the similarity with his creation dictates that then he would have other issues, right? With, like, for example, how does that child behave? How does that child act? There's all these questions that are opened up. So these claims are claims that are being made that are completely uninformed. And what they represent deeply is a misunderstanding of who Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is. So the reason why Muslims are so particular about things like this is because if somebody says one thing about Allah that's not true, that opens the door for other things to be said about Allah that are not true. And things to be said about Allah that are not true can cause immense damage in people's relationship with Allah. Right? Even within Muslim spheres, we have statements that are made on behalf of Allah that frankly are not completely accurate. Right? That are not accurate. And those statements being made that are not accurate 
deeply, deeply damage the faith of people. So Allah Ta'ala says what? مَا لَهُمْ بِهِ مِنْ عِلْمٍ They say these things without knowledge, nor did their forefathers. Because what is the thing that is said when people challenge false notions? When you say, where did you get this from? What do they say? Huh? It's always been this way. This is what everyone says. It's how our family's always done it. This is what, I don't want to start a culture versus religion war, but this is what our culture, this is our tradition. Right? If you challenge something, you're like, should we really be doing this at weddings, taking dollar bills and doing this around people's head? Right? To save them from poverty? Like, why don't we just give them the dollar bill to save them from poverty? And then also, like, raise our hands in dua and say, well, let's protect them from poverty. Like, when we do these behaviors, like, isn't that problematic? Oh, this is, this is the way that we've always done it. Right? مَا لَهُمْ بِهِ مِنْ عِلْمٍ وَلَا لِأَبَائِهِمْ so Allah Ta'ala says, just because your dad said it, doesn't make it true either. Right? How horrific, how massive of a mistake it has been that has left their tongue, that has left their mouth. They say nothing except that which is a lie. Now the Prophet Sallallahu will conclude here because Maghrib's in a few minutes. But I want you to understand something that's so profound. These people that were so horrific to the Prophet Sallallahu they were so mean to him. They bullied him, they tortured him, they harassed him. There are moments, six, seven, eight moments in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses what was going on in his heart, what was happening internally with him as all this was occurring, okay? So Allah gives us a sneak peek here into the heart of the Prophet Allah Ta'ala says, maybe it's the case that you, Bakh in Arabic means to die from sadness. Maybe you will grieve yourself to the point of death over what? Over ala atharihim. Atharihim literally means like the, the, the traces or the footsteps. So the image Allah is painting here is very beautiful. Imagine the Prophet trying to tell these people about Islam. And he's so passionate and so committed to this message that he's chasing them and he's following them and they're turning their back on him and they're like ignoring him and he's literally humbly just like walking behind them footstep for footstep trying to say but wait let, let me just tell you one more thing maybe this will work maybe this will convince you and he's just following them footstep after footstep right the rejection that he t- uh, he faced never turned him away from people because he followed their backs, right? Just because these people deny this message. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was telling the Prophet that your job to teach and to, and to deliver this message is one thing, but you should never ever grieve yourself to the point of self-destruction just because somebody won't listen. You know, there are some moments and sometimes, guys, where you are talking to somebody I get these questions, you know, some people come to me after and they'll say, what can I tell somebody? What, what, what sentence can I tell my brother or my sister or my cousin or whoever? They're like really in a far off place. They're in a bad spot. Like, what can I tell them to bring them back? And I can see the pain, right? And I've been there. Like my own eldest sister, right, left Islam when I was young. And I remember the pain my whole family went through in experiencing that. And I think it's more common than we realize. I think everybody here probably has a friend or a cousin or something that either tacitly or actively left his son. 
This is a moment that we have to kind of get used to and understand how to deal with as an Ummah in America. These are things that can really hurt. And I see it. But subhanAllah, we have to remember that it is your job to only do what you can. Like you can't take the heart of a person and flick a switch of Iman and say, there, now they believe, now they will. There's no magic thing. And, and, and you know, younger people tend to say, what argument can I make? Un- uncles and aunties, poor, I mean, they just, they say, is there any dua I can make? Is there just like a thing I can ask Allah one time and it'll fix it all? And it's heartbreaking. You have to know that you're in the company of the Prophet That heartbreak that you feel, as, as painful as it is, there is a reason you feel it, and that's because you have belief. That iman, it's giving you a spiritual sensation of sadness, knowing that somebody you love, somebody you care about, is diverting away from the path that you know to be true. Okay? Now with the Prophet that was with everybody. You know, there are some people in our lives that are closer to us than others, and there are some that we, you know, we don't think about them when it comes to their iman, their faith, we're just like, whatever. The Prophet literally every person he met, he was like concerned about their eventual, their destination, where they would end up. So Allah Ta'ala told the Prophet don't kill yourself over these people. Because he said what? We have made this entire earth and everything on it, all the beautification, all of the interior design, all of the luxury cars, all of the houses, all the delicious food, all the Instagram influencers, We've made all of them, some things I don't know why Allah made, but we made all of them in order to test everybody. It's amazing that Allah Ta'ala brings up the word test. When He brings up the word test, does He bring up illness, sickness? Does He bring up tragedy, death, poverty? Does He bring up physical pain? No. He brings up what? Zinatan. He's bringing up beautification of the earth. Oftentimes we associate sickness and pain with tests. But what about the good things Allah has given us? We never think of them as tests, but they are. Allah Ta'ala here is reminding us that when you're in a situation of difficulty, don't look at those who have more than you and think, you know what, they're blessed. Everything is a test on its own, right? We'll stop here inshallah because Maghrib just came in. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to give us an understanding of the surah to allow us to be able to understand and appreciate the Qur'an, that we appreciate the Prophet that we understand that this book came to give us a, a promise of goodness for our afterlife, and that we ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to allow us to be those people that only speak with knowledge, and that we understand that everything we have is Allah Ta'ala giving us a test in our lives, and that we pass that test. Ameen, ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi We're going to be praying Maghrib in just 30 seconds. There you go. So the, the, the message is over there. Uh, feel free to hop over there, inshallah. And I'll see everybody uh, next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum.